Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Ambassadors Forum radio show here on True Talk 800 AM KPDQ. I'm your host, Roy Swart, father of seven, MIT graduate, active engineer in the high-tech industry, and most importantly, bought and paid for, bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here at the Ambassadors Forum, our mission is to equip you to be able to answer life's hard questions the same way Jesus did. I have the privilege today of interviewing the former senior pastor of our founding church. Rick Elzinga received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior on February 25th, 1962. His heart's desire ever since has been to be a faithful servant of the Lord and to live out Christ's Lordship in every area of his life. While teaching elementary and middle school in Concord, California, Rick completed his seminary degree and came to Southwest Hills Baptist Church in 1984. A distinguishing aspect of Rick's ministry has been to open doors for people to minister so they can develop as leaders. God has used him to start many new ministries, raise up leadership teams to lead those ministries, and then step out of the way and let them lead. Rick retired as a senior pastor in 2019. Pastor Rick, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Roy. It's a really honor to be here. I love your Ambassadors Forum, what you guys are doing. It's making a big impact on people's lives, not only here in the Portland area, but all over the place. Thank you. Well, there are a multitude of studies that have shown that many young people are leaving their Christian faith in college. Some project it to be as high as 75 to 80 percent that leave the faith. In your 34 years as the senior pastor of the same healthy, conservative Baptist church in the Portland area, I'm sure you've seen many generations of families grow up and be sent out under your leadership. What do you think? Is that statistic about kids leaving the faith Does that only apply to liberal churches who have compromised on their commitment to the Word of God? Is that statistic only relevant to churches whose leadership have had some grave public moral failure? Or are solid Bible churches like the one you pastored immune to this? Roy, this is a huge burden on my heart. This is a huge problem in the evangelical church all over the United States. I've seen the statistics too. Some studies say 50%, 60%, 70%, even 80% of those who grow up in a Christian family, even a conservative evangelical church, leave the faith after high school. And it's a heartbreak. I don't know what the real statistics are. I doubt that anyone actually does. It depends on how you define Christian and how you define a solid Christian family or evangelical church. I took a sample of the families in our church Families that all had at least two children who were post-high school age. And that was most of the families that fit that category in our church. Not all of them. It was a sample, but it was a huge sample. Probably 70% of those families that fit that category. I found that 60% of those families had at least one prodigal child. Wow. 60%. And this is a church, you know, it's a church that's strong a church that has a lot of homeschool and Christian school families. Just this last weekend, I'll give you an example. I went to our Saturday night service. I talked to two families there who both have children. They're both sons who have turned away from the faith, and they are leaders. They are great, great families. And then Sunday morning, I visited another church where I mentored the pastor, 
And I was talking to a family there, and they told me about two children that had turned from the faith. And then mm. I was talking to a grandfather, and I told him about the book that I wrote on prayer. And so we started talking about prayer. And he said, oh, we got to pray because we have grandchildren who have turned away from the faith. And wow. then right after that, I went to a wedding that I was officiating. And I talked to a woman there, a mom there, whose daughter was so excited. She was a missionary. And now she's turned away from the faith, and it's just a heartbreak. Wow. I guess it's, uh, it's good for us to understand that the, the problem is not just from weak churches or, or churches who don't believe in the Bible. There it's understandable, right, that they haven't prepared their kids. They don't have a solid network and infrastructure for the kids to lean on. What do you think are some of the root causes of this that you've seen in some of those families or just the church in general? Well, it's interesting. I was reading a study recently that talked about why children just in general have so many problems in our society today. And they mentioned, you know, the stress and the pressure. And what they didn't mention was the biggest problem of all. And that was that so many parents are not really doing their job. Mm. Now, I want to be careful here. Just because a child turns away from the faith does not mean that parents are not doing their job. We've got some examples today, like Abraham Piper, John Piper's son, who now is making fun on social media of evangelical Christianity, or, mm. or Greg Harris, who another younger man who was a leader, a pastor, great Christian family and church he grew up in, you know, now he's turned away from being even a Christian. So it's not that parents are always at fault. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that there are many, many parents who really are not doing their job. Mm. And we found that uh, parental influence is the number one factor. I know when I was in college, I was part of a ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ, uh, founded by Bill Bright. And I remember asking him at the time during one of the Bible studies, he came and, and spoke to our group. And he said, you know, this was in the 90s. And he said, Roy, I've seen kids fall away in college. And that's why God put this on my heart. I think it was in maybe the 50s or the 60s that he started Campus Crusade for Christ. And so I know there is and has been a vibrant ministry in campuses to try and catch kids who are in college, maybe, you know, having questions, having doubts, and try and minister to them there. If you back up also to high school, there's Young Life, there's Youth for Christ, there's trying to get ahead of the game and catch them in high school. Do you think that's far enough, or do you think we need to go back to middle school or even elementary school to try and start addressing some of these issues that are going to come up? How about Second Timothy chapter 3? Paul says to Timothy, from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. We better start young, because we are in an echo chamber in our culture. The whole Mm. culture is hearing the same message, whether it's from Hollywood, from the media, the universities, the high schools, the middle schools, the elementary schools. You know, everywhere you turn now, it seems like they're hearing the same message on LGBTQ issues, what marriage is or isn't. You can decide for yourself what you want to be, even your gender, et cetera. Mm. And they're hearing all kinds of false messages. It's everywhere. And, of course, now with social media, with uh, smartphones and everything, I read the other day that the average boy now is being exposed to pornography at 11 years of age or something like that. It's very, very young. So we better start really young, really young. We talked briefly about the role of parents, I think, of 
Deuteronomy chapter 6, where God says, you know, pass on these commandments to your children in everything that you're doing, when you're lying down, getting up, walking along the way. Uh, so we covered those kinds of aspects of family environment that should be, you know, teaching the Bible and living out true faith in front of their kids. What are some of the things that you think the church or the community can do to come alongside those families? What are the elements, you know, biblical worldview or scripture memorization, evangelism? What are the key things that you think might be able to help inoculate against this falling away? Uh, Let me just give you an example. I was officiating at a wedding I mentioned on Sunday. I talked to the groom. We were talking about a certain man that was there who had been kind of a mentor to him. And he said, if it weren't for that man, and he talked about this particular guy, he says, if it weren't for that man, my life would be a mess right now. Wow. Now, this man was not his father, not his grandfather, not related. Hmm. It was just a man in the church Hmm. who took an interest in him. He Hmm. saw this young guy. He saw the family he came from was not really giving him the truth that he needed, or at least it wasn't in good shape. Hmm. And so he just took an interest in this guy. And here we have a a wonderful example of how a mentorship like that, just listening and talking and sharing your life, how it can make such an impact on a young man. Hmm. And so that would definitely be an example of what we could do. There's a lot of things we can do. Churches can certainly be stronger and their work with youth and children. A lot of times it's kind of entertainment oriented. And I mean, it's nice to have a fun time, but man, we got to focus on scripture. We got to teach them scripture. That's one of the reasons we've really pushed Awana because Mm. it's a lot of scripture memory. And by the time the kids graduate from high school, if they've gone through Awana, they know hundreds of verses. Mm. At least they've memorized them. And a lot of times those verses will come back to kids. I was reading about the mm. testimony of a doctor, a woman who's a doctor doing some kind of surgery. She had grown up in a church, memorized scripture, gotten away from the Lord. And one day she said <laughs> she was doing a surgery. And right in the middle of the surgery, one of these verses came back to her mm. <laughs> that she had memorized as a child. And it was through that that she came back to the Lord. Wow. So churches can certainly do a lot. Parents can certainly do a lot. There's the whole role of grandparents that is, needs to be rediscovered hmm. because grandparents in our culture today, you know, the cultural view of grandparents is, you know, take them and spoil them and give them back to the parents. Hmm. And that is really not a biblical view of grandparenting. Deuteronomy 4 says hmm. we're to teach God's commands to our children and our children's children. Hmm. So grandparents have a role. There's 30 million Christian grandparents in America. Wow. Can you imagine if 30 million Christian grandparents in America got serious about investing in their grandchildren? Wow. Make a difference. Wow. I think also in our culture today of a lot more connection over Zoom and these kind of virtual meetings, I know 100 years ago, families tended to stay closer together. And so you would visit your grandparents' house because they lived across the street or down the road or at least in the same town. In today's culture where a lot of kids and grandkids have kind of become more dispersed, maybe that connection can still happen over social media or the internet, things like that. Well, we have 11 grandkids, one or more on the way. Nine of the 11 now are six years old or under. So we don't do a lot with them, but the two that are a little bit older... They live in Bend. We live in Beaverton every day. We're on FaceTime. 
Every wow. day we help them with the homeschooling. I do wow. math and writing. Diane does reading with mm. the kids. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. We have an opportunity today to have an impact on our grandchildren no matter how far away they live. Well, I know it was your encouragement that got a lot of us dads started in this church to disciple and train our own kids in apologetics. And that kind of led to not only our own kids, but then the rest of the kids in the congregation, and which kind of budded into this ministry. And now we reach the city, the larger community around Portland, even places across the United States. When you think back to that time of God laying this ministry or this concept on your heart, what would you say that God specifically laid on your heart at that time that you were trying to respond to and encourage people to develop a ministry around? Well, Roy, I think you give me a little bit too much credit here. (laughs) I would like to have thought that I trained the men in our congregation to do that. The truth is, I am not an expert in apologetics, but I have a deep heart, as you've already seen, for children Mm. and for passing on the faith, transferring the faith to the next generation. So what I did as a pastor when I was pastoring is I would look for opportunities to strengthen the congregation spiritually. And I would look for what the needs were and then what the resources were to meet those needs. Hmm. How would you encourage other pastors who are, especially in the Portland area, but really anywhere, that are seeing this same epidemic, the same problem of kids, even in their own congregations, like you said, 60%, leaving the faith, if God has put a burden on their heart, but they might think, well, but I don't have three people in my congregation who are capable or have this passion. How would you encourage them to get started or to respond to God's calling in this area? Yeah, first of all, let me just clarify one thing. It's not 60% of the kids leaving the yes. faith. It's 60% of the family <laughs> yes, is having yes. at least one child yes. who's a prodigal. Yes. What pastors can do, redefine what success is hmm. for a church. Hmm. The problem is we live in a culture where success is numbers Hmm. and money and bigness, and that is not the definition of success in the Bible. Hmm. You look at Jesus Christ's evaluation of the seven churches in Asia Minor in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. He doesn't talk about, you know, how big they are and all that Hmm. kind of stuff. He talks about faithfulness. Hmm. And the problem I see— and I was very tempted by this, too, and I I can't always say I did the right thing. But, Mm. you know, you go to a conference for pastors, and they ask you, well, you know, how big is your church? And if you can say 1,000, you feel like you're real successful. (laughs) If you say 50, it's like, uh, only 50. You know, that's just not not good because that causes us then to play to the numbers Mm. and the multitudes. And you see how Christ handled it. He would be willing to offend the multitudes. Sure. But he had a few that he really poured himself into deeply, Mm. and that's what changed the world. Mm. And so if pastors would redefine success in a biblical way and say, look, I'm not just going to try to attract the crowds and water down the message or entertain in order to attract a lot of people, I'm going to really try to give the gospel, teach the Bible, be faithful, challenge people— You know, like Paul says in Colossians one twenty eight, teaching and admonishing each person mm. with all wisdom you know, from Scripture. 
I think that's the best thing pastors can do. They may not have anybody in their church as an apologist, but if they're teaching God's Word, they're doing apologetics too. Mm. Looking back over your career as a pastor, is there anything that you would have done differently to try and impact this trend of kids leaving the faith as a pastor? You know, I've thought about that question. I've been asked that before, what I would do differently, not necessarily asked quite the way you did, but basically what I would have done differently. And one thing I've thought about many times is I wish I would have spent more time mentoring individual men. Mm. You know, as a pastor, you spend a lot of time preparing your sermons and practicing your sermons and preaching. And that's good, and it's important, and it sets the tone for the whole church. Mm. So it's important that you preach well. But the real life change comes more in smaller venues. Mm. So when you're one-on-one with someone, that's when I see things really happen. Mm. So that's what I'm excited about now. I wish I would have done more before, Mm. just meeting one-on-one with guys, and not just occasionally, but fairly frequently, Mm. because then they start opening up, and you find out what the issues really are, and you can help them. And I think if you can help even a small number of men in a deep way, Mm. they then can impact others who can impact others, and especially their own children and grandchildren. Mm. And that's a great way to sort of pass on the faith to the next Mm. generation. Mm. Even as the apologists in our ministry have gotten together, it's really the iron sharpening iron with each other in community that have benefited a lot of us. It's great to read books, it's great to read podcasts, but I think everyone who's involved in the ministry today would say their richest growth has been in community with other like-minded you know, men and women who are pursuing this idea of being trained up in the scriptures and being equipped to defend their faith. And even as we pass it on to the kids, I think we've seen the biggest impact when it is in small groups, either parents with their children or adults with a small group of kids. As First Peter talks about, of course, it's important to honor Christ as Lord as the foundation of everything that we do in ministry. But then people focus a lot on being ready to defend your faith, and that's a critical piece of apologetics, but it's to do it in an attitude of humility, with gentleness and respect, and really to talk about the hope that you have. And that can be a very personal thing. When you're sharing the hope with one other person or a small group of people, you can get very personal, and it can be very customized to the needs of that group of people. And so we found a lot of our own growth and effectiveness in ministry in small teams. So... Yeah, one of the verses I really like is Colossians one twenty eight, where it says, We proclaim him, that's Jesus Christ, admonishing each person and teaching each person with all wisdom mm. so that we may present each person complete or mature in Christ. And mm. so I like that, you know, each person doing kind of one-on-one thing and, yeah, and really trying to work on a, a smaller basis like that, not being so concerned with numbers and bigness, but just that little, it's like the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man planted in his field. And 
you know, the smallest of your seeds, and yet when it grows, it becomes the largest of garden plants so that the birds of the air can nest in its branches. So, you know, it's just a little thing, but it'll grow and mm. mature. And remember once, I think you said that some of your best apologists are pastoral instead of... Right. Uh, what, say that again. What was Sure. That? I think I said that we found that some of the best apologists, some of the people having the biggest impact on the most people are those who approach things from a pastoral perspective rather than a theological or even scientific or informational perspective. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons for that is, and I'm not sure exactly what you meant by a pastoral (laughs) perspective, but I think the idea here is that as you're shepherding someone, Mm. you're relating to them, and you're building a relationship, and there's love, I think that's the best way to get them to where they need to be, Mm. to help change their thinking. I was working with a family once where uh, the grown-up daughter had, you know, just, she was a believer, but she was going pretty liberal in certain Mm. ways. And the dad felt responsible for that. And he said, I got to change her. And he just became very strong with Mm. her and almost cut off the relationship. Mm. And it didn't change her. You know, and I said, listen, it takes love and prayer. This Mm. is what you need, Mm. which I see as a pastoral approach, you know, love and prayer. You know, it's the old saying that you've heard this before. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think that if we approach people with uh, love and building relationship and not trying to force or by strength of argument, out-argue them or something. I think that's probably the way that we can best change their minds. If you look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, I believe it is, at the end, where it says the Lord's bondservant must not be argumentative, you know, just a gentle in the way they speak, and I think that's what really counts. Yeah, right. Roy, there's one other thing, too, I want to add that I'm doing now in my retirement. I have a real heart for smaller churches that can't afford more staff, but they really want to strengthen their ministry. And this is not directly related to transferring the faith to the next generation, but it's Mm. certainly indirectly related. Mm. And that is, uh, I am willing to come to any church and uh, not charge anything, just come and help them develop leaders through mentoring and through teaching them biblical counseling. Mm. So that's why we call it life-to-life ministry, kind of an umbrella term for meeting one-on-one and training people in both discipleship or discipling others and counseling others when Mm. issues come up. So anyway, we'd be glad to do that to any church that's interested. Oh, that'd be great. How would they contact you? Uh, They could just email me at rick at southwesthills.org. All spelled out, southwesthills.org. Okay, we'll leave a link on our radio page with that That would work, or they can contact the Ambassadors Forum, and I'm sure the message would get to me. <laughs> Sounds great. Let me also add to that, if you are in the Portland area, we've actually partnered with a lot of the churches and even pastors and youth pastors here on what we're doing. Private schools, we've taught at chapels, and so... If you're in the Portland area and you feel like God is putting this topic of apologetics on your heart, if you're seeing people in your congregation struggling with 
questions and doubts and you're not quite sure how to reach them, reach out to us at info at theambassadorsforum.com and we can try and put you in touch with some resources or some people who can help. Well, thank you, Rick, for a lifetime of your own example to me and my family. We have been richly blessed and impacted by watching you and hearing you and serving alongside with you over the years. And so thank you for being on the show today, and thank you for continuing to be an example to us and our community of a faithful servant of Christ. And thank you, Roy. I've learned as much from you as you have from me, and I really appreciate what you're doing, and I'm behind you 100% with your uh, ambassadors forum. Amen. Now, how about you? Have you seen this same disturbing trend of young people leaving the church? Do you have a personal experience in your own family with a prodigal child or grandchild? I want to encourage you not to lose heart. You can go to our website at theambassadorsforum.com to check out some of our helpful resources and get started in your journey to be equipped in the faith. Finally, thank you for joining us on the radio today. You can join us every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on True Talk 800 a.m. KPDQ. I pray that God will raise you up in your own faith and send you out to share that faith with others in the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Until next time, I'm Roy Swart. May the Lord bless you and keep you. 